Hey everybody, welcome to Uju episode two. Uju episode two. <laughs> My name is Katie Marshall and I am having so much fun with this Uju experience. The most fun of all is getting to share these stories, these ideas, these insights with you all and getting to hear your feedback. Thank you so much if you listened to episode one and you gave me some feedback. I want you to know how much it meant to me, how much I appreciate it, and also how much I'm going to try to use a lot of it. Some of you asked for more cat stories, to which Gus and I both agree we can do. Some of you asked for more concise cat stories, and honestly, no promises. (laughs) I'll do my best. A few of you asked for more structure, and I'm definitely going to work on that in Some of you very kindly told me to not be so weird in the beginning, which obviously I took to heart and I'm really working on. But most importantly of all, what I heard was that there was an appreciation for the communication perspective on so many problems that we work through and so many ideas around how to navigate work life through a communication lens. And that is mostly what we're focusing on together. When it comes to hanging out and spending time with you all, I want you to know I appreciate your feedback. And if you'd like to share more of it, you can find me on Instagram at Uju the podcast. That is O-O-J-U underscore the underscore podcast. You're going to see some notes about what we talk about, some inspirational quotes that I believe in, and just so many pictures of my cat. Really, just it's going to be a lot of really quality cat content. That's what I'm here to provide and add value to for you all. Uh, It is a rainy day in Greensboro, North Carolina, the illustrious and tropical Greensboro, North Carolina. It feels like it's been raining for 100 years, at least. And if you are a cat like Gus, then you've just been doubling down on your nap time, really getting all your, your naps logged in. But if you are a working adult, you're probably at work thinking, man, I wish I was napping. And if you are an entrepreneur or creating your own business or working from home in any capacity, what you might be wondering is, it's a rainy day, I've been moving slower, I haven't been doing as much, am I doing something wrong? Am I doing something wrong if I make double the tea today and I just hang out and get cozy as I read through emails? Am I doing something wrong if I take a break mentally at work to go on a walk? Am I doing something wrong if in my studies for school I take some time to talk about it with a friend? This question, am I doing something wrong, it haunts the hallways of the in-between. And that is what we're talking about today, the in-between. The in-between is the place between what you say you want to do and what you actually do to get there. It is the difference between your ideal goal and the reality. It is how we operate with the end goal in mind by staying stubborn about our goals, but flexible about our methods. It is one of the hardest things about creating anything new in life. It is one of the hardest things about reaching for something new in life. It is the hardest thing about getting out of your comfort zone. It is the age old realization that what you were expecting is not what is actually going to happen. And then once you realize it, what do you do? That's what we're talking today. We're going to talk about the in-between, the process, what to be aware of as you're navigating that very long hallway. And I'm also going to share with you my own in-between and what I learned in that experience. 
this idea of am I doing something wrong comes when you veer off of a very well-lit, structured path. If there was a life plan set for you, as there are for so many of us, you go to school, you get a job, you go back to school, you go to school, more school, more school, then you get a job, or you get a job, you keep working, you build your own business, and then you stay in that business forever. There are very set plans, very obvious things that you are, quote unquote, supposed to do. And the in-between happens when something else catches your eye along that path and you say, I would like to do that. Here's how I think it will feel. Here's how it looks in my daydreams. Here's what I think will happen. And then you have all of those packaged with you, maybe over your, over your back in a cool backpack, you're journeying along. You have all of these ideas in mind, but as you're actually doing it, the walk feels so much different. And so you get this idea, this fear in your head of if it doesn't look exactly like I thought, maybe I'm doing it wrong. If you are branching off on your own in any kind of way, which is to say starting a side hustle where you just work for yourself or starting a full on business where you're working for yourself, there is no one there to answer that question but yourself. (laughs) If you're at work and you work for a business that's already established and you have a manager and you get that weird feeling of, am I doing this right? You can go to a manager and they will tell you pretty quickly, yes or no. Generationally speaking, from a communication perspective, millennials and Gen Zs, important side fact for you all, Gen Zs were born in 1995. Most of them are either interns or first-time employees right now. Millennials are closer to 30 than not, and we feel fine about that fact. Thank you so much for asking. We are either looking down the barrel of 30 or we just hopped over it, and we're fine with it. So Gen Zs and millennials are used to more structure, if you, can, if you are Gen Z or a millennial, if you remember when you were younger, you would go to school. And then after school, you would have an instrument on Monday. And then Tuesday, you would have that sport that your mom really liked, but you didn't care about. And then Wednesday, you would have some sort of arts and crafts thing after school. And then Thursday, you would get to go do the sport that you actually cared about. Friday, you would have a set hangout date with your friend. And then Saturday, you would do all your homework and cry. And then you would do it again. That schedule meant that we always knew what we would be doing. We knew what was expected of us. We knew how to do it right. More often than not, especially in school, you're given a syllabus when you first start out. When you're on a team, you know what your coach expects of you. You're told how to meet expectations. And so if you're feeling off about it, you're able to go and immediately ask someone for feedback. Hey, is this what you're looking for? Is this what you want? Then you graduate at whatever level you graduate at. High school, uh, associate's degree, college, master's, PhD. You graduate out of that expectation obviousness (laughs) and you step into a place where there aren't obvious expectations other than perhaps a performance review or literally asking your manager or boss if you're doing this right now shake that picture up a little bit take that etched sketch in your hands shake that bad boy up and imagine if you just walked out to a place and you had no written expectation You have your survival skills. I need to pay my rent, pay my bills so I can stay where I am. I need to be able to buy food for myself and for my cat, obviously. need to be able to afford a bottle of wine now and then to stay sane. But other than that, am I doing this right? Am I doing this thing the way that I'm supposed to? Even worse, when you bring your metaphorical checklist of things that you've done all week to go spend time with people 
who do other things than you. Maybe you work from home. Maybe they don't. They ask you what you do all day. And you tell them, you know, I worked. Here's some of the stuff that I did. Here's what it looked like. And they go, ah, I was in meetings from, you know, 7 to 12. Had 20 minutes for lunch. Went back. Worked on a project. Had more meetings. Da, 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 da. That's amazing. But what if you don't have that same set thing? And then the new fear creeps in of, am I doing this right? What if you have a very set schedule at work? You hear someone else working from home having this different schedule where they work from six in the morning till 10 in the morning, they take a three hour break and then they come back. And then you wonder if you're doing it right. We are all deeply wondering if we are doing this thing right. It speaks beyond business, work, school. It speaks to us just existing together here in this world. We are wondering if we are doing this right or well enough. Are we doing enough? Are we good enough? Is this right? These are the questions that haunt the hallway of the in-between. I read something recently. I read something recently that said, your ego does not want you to fail because your ego wants to protect you. And your ego hates failure because then you might be seen as a failure. You might be seen as someone who did something wrong and then everyone would know. So do the opposite of what your ego tells you and enjoy your efforts. Hear your ego, do the opposite of what it tells you and enjoy your efforts. If you've ever gone to a wedding and wondered if you should dance when it's time to dance and something in you goes like, "Eh, I don't really know how to do the wobble. And honestly, I still miss the Cupid shuffle and the exercise just never really been my thing. So I don't know, I guess I should just like hang out on the sidelines, just try to talk to people, look cool, look normal, do that thing where I put my arm on my waist so my arm looks skinniest. That's your ego. Because your ego doesn't want you to dance because what if you do it wrong? And so what this idea is saying is dance and enjoy your effort of dancing and worry less about doing it right and enjoying the effort and having fun. That's what we're thinking about today. That's what I'm going to talk with you all about. Whilst navigating the in-between, the space of reality that is so different from what you were expecting, the ego is going to come up over and over again. Ego doesn't like to fail. <sighs> and neither do I. Honestly, ego is not wrong in that area. Because as I told you in episode one, failure sucks. And I will never tell you that it's going to be a good time. Failure is sort of like an emotional neti pot. If you've ever been really stuffy with sinuses or sick, and you're a friend of mine, then I've recommended the neti pot to you. <laughs> Nanny Pot, for those of you who don't know, is this thing that Oprah really made famous in the late 90s, early 2000s. It's this little plastic teapot, and you get this salt water solution that's just made from nightmares. And you put it in the hot water, not too hot, but definitely too hot if you've done it wrong like me. And then you put it in the little teapot situation, and then you tilt your head kind of to the side, and you essentially drown yourself while you're standing on dry land you you shoot that water off your nose and you have to spit it back out it's horrible it's the worst feeling but it clears your sinuses up no joke every time every single time and don't give me that oh what if it's too stuffy because it works and that's the same with failure it hurts every time failure consistently sucks but each time you fail 
and you go back and look at it, you're a little bit better. And that works every time. Ego doesn't want you to fail because it knows how much it hurts. And let's commend our egos for at least looking out for us in that way. But we got to go through it. And if we can look at it instead as here's a situation where I could reach for something, I could apply to this really awesome opportunity. I could ask my boss for more responsibility on a project. I could speak in front of my colleagues. I could get up at an open mic night. I could step out into the spotlight. Something in you is first going to say, don't. (laughs) Let's not. Sounds terrible. Sounds like an emotional neti pot. You can't make me. No. But something else will say, let's do it. It's a smaller voice. And if you follow that voice while you're doing the thing that is reaching outside of your comfort zone, that voice will want to know if you are doing this thing right. And sometimes you won't have an answer. But the only one who can give it is you. The in-between is littered with questions about affirmation. Is this right? Is this okay? Am I doing enough? Do I think this is cool? Does everyone else think this is cool? Do I sound too cool so that it does the the inverse effect where I now sound uncool again, which is the worst because you were doing it and then you did too much? We all have those questions, but especially when we're outside of our comfort zone. And that's exactly where the in-between is. The in-between for me looked like working at a very steady job, a really fantastic job. Oh my God. They would cater P.F. Chang's all the time. And the people I worked with were so nice. And I was so young when I started. I was 21 and being paid well, but still somehow so broke in the way you can only be when you're 21. And so they would let me take the P.F. Chang's home with me. And I mean, just full on catering trays of it. And I would survive off of that for weeks. Just a really solid place to start working and to be taken care of by kind people, given projects that I could work on and sink my teeth into where I could fail safely and learn. It looked like going from that place into realizing that I needed to be a coach, trainer, speaker, and not having any idea of how to get there, but knowing that that's where I was going, quitting my job and figuring it out. (laughs) That was my big in-between, but I've had a, a lot of small ones, and I'm sure you have too. Another small in-between was seeing that TEDx was coming to Greensboro in 2013 and having this idea for a TED Talk and deeply, deeply needing to be a TED speaker more than anything else at the time, and knowing that I wanted to be a TED speaker, but not really knowing how I would do it and figuring out that in-between as well. And the whole time, even when you get the thing that you wanted, This is important, and I will repeat this. Even when you get the thing that you wanted, there is still that lingering question of, did I do this right? Am I doing this right? Even when you get the dream job, you still wonder if you're doing it right. That question hangs out throughout the in-between. When I was first describing the in-between to my very good friend, M, he said the in-between reminds me of this internet joke, a meme if you will, where there's a picture of a tombstone. And he said, there's the date of birth and then the dash and then the date of death. And we see the date of birth and we see the date of death, but actually everything really important happens in the dash. That's where the life was. 
and we paused and I was like, whoa, that's amazing. I didn't even think about it that way. And, and then goes, yeah, that, that tombstone joke, that's deep. It's about six feet deep. George, <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to say incredible. And I offer that to you now. So everything that happens in the in-between is that dash between when you decide you want to start something and when you actually get it. And then after you get it as well, it's all the dashes in between. Again, it's that place between what you say you want and what you actually do to get there. It's the hallway that we walk from one room to another. Or maybe even out of the house or into the house. I'm not entirely sure where you are metaphorically. But it is littered with questions about whether or not you're doing it right. You are probably in some kind of in-between right now. You could be just in a new position. You could be reaching for a new position. You could be thinking about leaving one job for another one. You could be thinking about taking on a new project. You could be thinking about taking new classes, grad classes, master's classes, dance classes, any kind of new education, some space that you haven't been there before. And if you are doing it, You've got some questions about whether this is right because it's going to look different than your expectation. And if you're thinking about doing it, you're not just wondering if you're going to do it right, but you're also wondering whether you can do it at all. You're wondering whether you're able, whether you're skilled enough, whether this will hurt so badly that you'll ever do anything else ever again. You're wondering if it is much more comfortable to stay where you are and probably, first of all. And then the, the secondary question is, if it's so comfortable to stay where I am right now, why would I leave? These are all normal questions. And that is something that I offer to you in kindness and support. It is normal to wonder whether something is worth the risk. And if you have people that you look after, if you have a family, if you have more than one cat, if you have people who are dependent on you in all seriousness, then there's another level of wondering if it's worth it because now other people will be impacted as well. It is a certain privilege to be a solo adventurer through the in-between. Because if I mess up, if I make a really big mistake, then it's on me. It's not, and also the people that need me to be there for them. So I want to let that perspective sink in as well, that there is an impact, there is a radius of people who will also be impacted through the decisions that we make. But if there are less in that impact range, then the questions change as to whether or not this is just good enough for me versus what impact am I making on them as well. A lot of the navigating oscillates between two areas. It's the discomfort of the navigation and the present moment awareness matched by short-term goals, small victories, and everyday persistence. So we have the discomfort, the present moment awareness, short-term goals, small victories, and everyday persistence. This is the idea that it is one thing to say something and it's another to actually do it. If you have ever gone skydiving, <laughs> then you know that on the pre-skydiving phase, it is very cool to tell people that you're going skydiving. On the post-skydiving phase, it is very cool to tell people that you're going skydiving. But in the middle, in that dash space, the in-between, as someone who's gone skydiving, I can tell you the plane ride up is delightful. 
they go so high in the air that you forget that you are on a tiny, tiny plane strapped to some strange dude with a really intense beard to jump out of the plane. I mean, you forget because they hang out with you for so long. You're sort of giggly. You're slap happy. This is ridiculous. What a life. And then they open that plane door and you hear the whoosh of wind come in and all of your survival skills go from zero to a hundred because you forgot what you were doing. <laughs> You're from zero to a hundred and now we have to jump out of this plane. And the only thing that you remember from training is just to not hold on to the walls of the plane before the jump because you could break your arm. And so you just have to surrender to the stranger who is strapped into you, who is duck waddling you out to the door of this plane and you scream the scream that you didn't know you had and then you're tumbling and then you are flying. And it is the best feeling. But it is one thing to say you're going skydiving. It is one thing to say that you did go skydiving. It is entirely another to actually be pushed out of a plane and fly through the air. And it is entirely different from what you were expecting. As with most of life, we prepare as best as we can, and then we get there, and it looks different. That is the in-between of business ownership and creation of any kind. Whether you are creating a new presentation to give it work, whether you're creating a new training to give it work, whether you are creating an entirely new department or a new project run to manage, if you are starting something that did not exist before in a place that already exists, You may have a general idea of how it might go, and you can do some risk mitigating work. You can have some discussions about preventative measures to make sure things stay on track, but then you actually get into it. And when you get into it, oh man, the things that show up that will challenge you, that will test you, that will make you ask if you're doing this thing right. That question that only you can answer. The in-between, the discomfort of it cannot be overstated. The discomfort starts the second you decide that you want something. And I mean, you may want to talk to someone across the bar. That's uncomfortable immediately. (laughs) You may want a new job. You may want a new role at your company. You may want to ask a question in a town hall meeting when you've never asked one before. You may want a new pet. You may want an entirely new life. You may want to sell everything that you have and go adventure around the Himalayas. You may want something. And as soon as you realize you want something, there is discomfort. There is joy. There is elation. There is daydreaming. And there is discomfort. Because to want that thing is to change everything that you have in front of you. And while humans can get frustrated by traffic jams and paper cuts and by their food coming late at a restaurant, Humans dislike nothing the way we dislike discomfort. We have created entire industries around comfort because that's how much we value it. We like to know that we feel good when we are in a present moment. And that is not inherently bad, but it is something to be aware of. When you state that you want something, as soon as you state it, there is discomfort. And as soon as you state it, you have entered into the hallway of the in-between. Important to note that that hallway is lined by doors and perhaps even connects to other hallways. As you are walking down the hallway of the in-between, there may be doors that say, go here, get out of this now, I'm done. And that is a door I've taken, and I'm sure it's a door you've taken as well. There are certain things, uh, 
cutting bangs in my hair. <laughs> Sounded like such a good idea. Looked so cool on Natasha Leone. And then when it really got to be time in the hair cutting chair, it was just not the right choice. <laughs> Bigger choices where I've been walking down the hallway and thinking, this is it. This is the in-between. I am uncomfortable. I have to keep walking through this hallway. And then suddenly there was a door right before the final, final decision and I took it. Because if there's one thing I know for sure, it's that you don't have to do anything. All of it is a choice. Yeah, the in-between is a long hallway, a long winding one. And there are doors that lead to other choices. There are doors that lead to the same choice, just in a different form. But it never really looks the way that you thought it would. More of a labyrinth than a hallway, really. And all of it is a choice. And at each turn... You can mark that hallway up. You can draw arrows. You can use sticky notes. You can use breadcrumbs to find your way back to where you started. And sometimes you do, but more often than not, as soon as you make a decision, there is nowhere to go but forward. And those are some of the biggest decisions you can make and most important. Though, for honest, it's all important. The discomfort of the in-between is something to navigate, and we all do it different ways. One of the ways that I navigate is talking with the people that I care about a lot. My general process for doing anything looks like this. I have something that I want to do and then I immediately say I can't. And then I say I can't about 12 more times. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And then somehow I'm doing it. And in that somehow I'm doing it, it's because I made one really quick rushed move. Either I sent one email to someone asking about it or I went and did it with someone else and saw how they did it. When it comes to this podcast, this experience that we're having together right now, this little thing came about because I was interviewed on another friend's podcast and then suddenly was able to realize that it wasn't as much as I thought, that it was so much about just talking and genuinely sharing and all the things that I deeply, truly love to do versus the amount of technological deep effort that I thought went into this sort of endeavor. And as soon as I realized that it wasn't that big, then I was able to keep moving. Sometimes you just need one small taste of something to realize that you can handle it. And sometimes you need a small taste of something to realize it's not what you needed at all. It's why many times as a career consultant and career coach, I've recommended to people to go on informational interviews or on shadowing trips at work. Because if there is something you're interested in, it is a really great idea to go and talk to someone who is doing that thing. And just ask them questions in a very low-stakes manner. Because if you're just going to gain information, you're just going in with pure curiosity, then it doesn't matter if you were perfect. It doesn't matter if you were impressive. It just matters what you can learn. And if you can learn whether or not this perspective is valuable, if you can learn whether or not this role is something that you want to pursue, then that may, your, that may be your somehow I just started doing it sentence. Sometimes you just need a little bit of it to see what it would look like in the long run. So the discomfort is the walking through. The discomfort is seeing it and deciding to keep moving anyway. The discomfort is wondering over and over again, am I doing this thing right? And not always having an answer back but more often than not, having the question echoed back to you. 
I have been a consultant for technically almost three years now. And I've been building and experiencing, and they've been more like dog years than human years in that there's been so much experience in that time. And I recently went to a convention to get certified in an assessment. And another consultant who worked in-house at a company approached me at the end of the day where we had been discussing with a group, sharing ideas the entire day as we were getting certified. And she approached me and said, you know, hey, just want to introduce myself and tell you, you know, you really, you're coming across really knowledgeable in our group discussion. Like you really know a lot of things. And before I could finish the phrase, thank you, she goes, you know, you're coming across really knowledgeable. Da, da, da. I said, thank you. She said, yeah, but you're also coming off really young and stared at me. She said, you're coming across really young. And how long have you been doing this? And I said, oh, <laughs> I tried to make a joke, which was, oh, really young, uh, water and sunscreen. <laughs> and then she just kept looking at me. I said, oh, well, you know, I've been doing this about three years. I'm, I'm working on my master's. I gave her all of those things that I say to show that I am certified to be doing what I'm doing to ease the tension in the conversation. And she said, oh, you've only been consulting for about three years. Are you ever worried that you just don't have enough experience? (laughs) And you and I both know that she wasn't asking if I was worried if I had enough experience. She was letting me know that she didn't think that I had enough experience. Uh, To which I just smiled and said, no, (laughs) because it's not something I worry about in that moment, in that conversation with her, that's something I worry about on my own time. (laughs) No, I am grateful for my experience and all that I have done and all that I've learned through it. And so it doesn't really make any sense for me to tell her otherwise. So the discomfort grows, the questions arise both in yourself and from other people. Hey, are you doing this right? I don't know. But here we go anyway. Look at us doing it. That process of I can't, I can't, I can't, I'm doing it. Usually some small moments of bravery have come through. Often those things look like short-term goals that are achieved and then celebrating the mess out of those short-term goals. Small things deserve to be celebrated. One of the best ways that I learned to celebrate small goals is to create a gratitude journal. And I call them gratitude reflections rather than just a list of saying, I'm grateful for my cat. I'm grateful for the sun. I'm grateful for that good parking spot that I got. I try to now focus it in. Here's what I'm grateful for. And here's what I did to create it happening in my life. Or here is why I'm grateful for it. So I am grateful for the opportunity to create a new client opportunity. I'm really proud of myself for sending that first introductory email and for following up and for staying persistent. What that does is it shifts the lens from things just happen to I create goodness in my life and I am grateful for the goodness that is given. Because optimism multiplies, joy multiplies. And as you are navigating the in-between, as you are walking down the road that you so knew in your head what it would look like, and then you show up and it's so different. You need few things the way you need optimism. Optimism paired with celebration and encouragement and acknowledgement. All of those kept me going when I first quit my job, started a consulting business, and then worked as a consultant as well. 
sometimes optimism looks a lot like stubbornness and that feels important to say out loud. <laughs> Just the unyielding stubbornness of a goal. This is happening. I don't know how, but this is happening, especially in business terms. We focus so much on the what and the when. What are you doing? When is it happening? That's even, that's personal life too. That's, are you dating someone? When did you start dating? Are you getting married? When are you getting married? Are you married? When are you having kids? We want to know the what. It feels good to us to know the what of life. It feels like we're answering questions that live deep within us, but the how is the experience. And that is what is prioritized in the in-between. And that is what I prioritize as a human. And what I want to offer to you in this space as well is focusing on the how. It is one thing to say something. It is entirely another to experience it. And that how deserves respect. (laughs) And it requires present moment awareness. When I say present moment awareness, what I mean is our human brains focus so much on the past and on the future. We are either daydreaming or we are ruminating. We are thinking about where we're going after work or we are thinking about what we used to do at work and how it's different, or we're thinking about that fight that we had at work and what we would have said if we could. So in that way, we're doing a bit of time travel while we're ruminating, while we're daydreaming. (laughs) Time space continuum folds into a black hole of interpersonal communication. We live in the future, in the past. Present moment awareness is what am I doing exactly right now? How am I doing this thing right now? What does it feel like? What can I do to continue looking at this thing in front of me? How can I witness the experience that I'm having? There is so much in our life that pulls us out of present moment awareness. Social media is an easy one to hit because as soon as you are in a present moment situation, if you have ever had to wait for your friend to get to the coffee shop, what are you looking at? You're looking at your phone. We all are. (laughs) If you are stuck in a really bad traffic jam, we're not supposed to, but how likely is it that you're looking at your phone? Mm. When we are stalling to make a decision, how easy is it to click out of the moment and into someone else's reality or perceived reality or performed reality on social media? So easy. It is there for a reason to get you out of the present moment. To be in the present is to be thinking about the how and the how as you're actually doing it, not just I am going skydiving. How will I do it? It's I am skydiving. How am I doing it? What's happening around me right now? It is said that one of the magical qualities of cats (laughs) is that cats pull you into the present moment by laying down on your lap. If you are a cat owner or a friend of a cat owner, you know this to be true. When a cat lays down on you, you don't move until they tell you that you can move. It's a little bit of a hostage situation. You're not going anywhere until that cat's done. And if they fall asleep on your lap when you had dinner plans, sorry, move them back. I'm not going anywhere until this little snoring beast that I would give my life for lets me know that it's time to go. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. <laughs> There's something about the present moment that's so elusive because it's happening right now, right now, right now. It feels like it's sand slipping through your fingers, but it's actually all of it at once. And you're in it right now, which is why the in-between 
feels scary because the in-between is not the future. And the only judge that you really have is the past because you're probably walking towards an unknown. If you are starting a new business, you are finally living out this dream that you have had for so long and you finally start walking down that hallway. It is hard to just walk down the hallway when you are expecting a room and you know exactly what that room should look like. And the only gauge that you have is to turn around and look at the room that you just left. And I have found that the farther you get away from the original room that you just left to start walking down the hallway of the in-between, the better that room looks. I speak about my, my old job, my first job, with kindness, gratitude, admiration now. But when I was in it, especially probably the last six months of it, I did not speak about it that way. I cannot reiterate enough. It's not the job's fault. It's not the people that I worked with fault. It's entirely mine because I was in, in a spot that was not letting me do exactly what I loved to do. And I have a deep-seated belief that if I love something enough, then I've got to do it with everything I've got. I was that way with martial arts. I'm that way with my business. If I love it, I'm doing it all as much as I can, as hard as I can, as frequently as I can, with as much joy as I can, accepting the heartbreaks of breathing greatly and failing. But I'm doing it. Because once I get over the I can't count of the in-between, once I navigate through all of that, if I'm doing it, I'm going all in. And that is why it was so difficult to be in my old role. Not because it was a bad spot, but because I knew what I, where I needed to go. And I wasn't there yet. There is discomfort in the navigation of the in-between. It gets easier when you have short-term goals that you accomplish and celebrate. Now, when I say celebrate... I need you to know something, that external validation will never feel as good as you need it to. So I ask you to use it sparingly. Find someone or many someones in your life that can give you particular validation when you're really thinking about you need it in a very specific way. You want to have certain people that are just throwing a parade for you every time you send a big, scary email to a potential new client. If we're talking new business wise, you need someone who's going to say, hey, cool, keep going. I also recommend that you have people in your life who love you and support you, but are not outwardly impressed by every small thing that you do. Because you got to, Kendrick told us, Kendrick Lamar told us, you got to sit down and be humble. (laughs) I am so grateful to have people in each of those roles in my life. I have people who just, oh man, every time I do something cool, even if it's small level cool, just sending an email or getting an email back or the possibility of a new client, the possibility of a speaking gig. As soon as I tell those people, they, Katie, all all exclamation points in the text, heart emojis, heart emojis, celebration, gifts, just losing their minds in a text message for me. And then I have some people that I tell, I accomplished something really great and they go, oh, cool. And that's it. What I mean by external validation, never feeling as good as you need it to, is that if you go up to someone and say, hey, here's this amazing thing that I did, and they go, oh, cool, that's not going to be enough to carry you through the hallway walk. (laughs) You've got to find that internal validation as well. And one of the best ways to do that is through the gratitude reflection, stating what you're grateful for, why you're grateful for it, and next level, what you did to make that thing happen. 
second thing that you can do is something that my father calls a private victory. A private victory is the terminator to ego. <laughs> because ego hates failure, but ego loves a celebration. Mm. Ego wants to celebrate all the time. Look at how cool I am. Look at what I did. Acknowledge it. And when I say external validation will never feel as good as you need it to, what I mean is that your ego stays hungry. Ego is always on a diet. Ego is never satisfied. <laughs> and so if you go for external validation, can you imagine going up to someone and telling them, I wrote this amazing article and they're going to publish it in this online journal and someone's saying, oh, okay. No, 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 you don't understand. See, what I did was I worked on it for months and months and months and I agonized and then I finally submitted it and they finally accepted it. And now it's going to be out in the world. Oh, yeah. No, that's great. Ugh. Can you imagine being that person? I can because I have been that person. Absolutely, I've been that person. Hey, here's a cool thing I'm working on. Someone says, oh, nice. And I go, no, 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 you don't get it. Like, it's so much cooler than you think. Here's why. And then I ruin it by explaining how cool it is. <laughs> And both of us are annoyed. Neither of us want to keep talking, but I've already ruined it. So now we're here in the wreckage of the conversation. Just my ego dancing around like a gremlin, eating stone walls, destroying my relationships. <sighs> ego loves a celebration. But ego drowns in a private victory. And the private victory is you having the present moment awareness the wherewithal of the how to realize that you are doing something amazing for yourself. To intrinsically and internally say, good job, self. That was tough. Let's keep going. Nice job. Whatever voice you need to use. I prefer Coach Taylor from Friday Night Lights, the television show, never the movie. Do not at me and do not start this conversation with me because I will go off the rails about how much I love Friday Night Lights. <laughs> I love a sports movie. I love a sports television show. Friday Night Lights, Coach Taylor, the TV show, not the movie. That is what my internal private victory voice sounds like. It's like, all right now. All right. Keep going. It's a very stern encouragement that tells me that I'm a warrior, that I'm a battler, and that there's still fight in me. That voice. That's the voice that comes up when I need to have a, a private victory about something that felt really important to me and that needed to be done. And I know how cool it is, but I also know that I don't need anyone else to tell me how cool it is because I can feel it deep down. There are small goals that you set for yourself. There are big goals that you set for yourself. I know business owners who set the amount of Instagram followers that they have for themselves and they're reaching and they're working and they're silently producing high quality content so that more people will come to their pages. And when they do, and they do get more followers, they may share something that says, thank you all for following, but there is no, hey, I now have 7,000 people following me. Look how cool I am. There's nothing cooler than humility. And that's what private victories offer, is the opportunity to very humbly and yet delightfully celebrate yourself. Private victories, gratitude reflections, taking the time to be in your present moment to be aware of how you are doing this thing. Finding joy, celebration, and achievement along the very long hallway walk of the in-between. It is uncomfortable. And that question of, am I doing this thing right, shows up more often than it doesn't.
And that's what requires everyday persistence. Everyday persistence is a lot easier with present moment awareness. I quit my job in the middle of 2016. It was August. My mother is a career coach. My father is a business psychologist, licensed. My sister's incredible. If anyone knew the right way to transition roles, you would think it would be me. So when I called my father to tell him that I quit my job, he said, do you, do you have anywhere else to go? What are you going to do? And I didn't have an answer. Listen, in a Netflix movie, that movie is so romantic. The girl on the phone is smiling. There is some adorable techno song playing in the background. Maybe she leaves the office and she twirls in the street. She gets a high five from the hot dog vendor. That moment is so cute in a movie. In real life, it felt like my stomach seeped out of me. It didn't even come out of anything. It seeped out of me. My insides fell out through my pores. When someone that you admire and love and work diligently to impress says, hey, what are you going to do? And hey, why? And hey, what are you going to do just one more time? (laughs) That fear, am I doing the right thing? Somewhere deep down with all my guts on the floor, (laughs) my heart still said, yes, this is the right thing. I remember I went out and got a beer with my boss and and she told me, you know, you're going to be fine. You'll figure it out. You'll figure something out. All I could feel was relief at finally making the decision that I had been wanting to do for months. And then after the relief was the fear, am I doing this right? And then there was a very small answer that came back that said yes, but I don't know how yet. I announced I was quitting my job. They very kindly gave me two months to figure it out as they looked for a replacement. And in that two months, I found a company that I just fell in love with on the other side of the country in Portland, Oregon, and I decided I would work for them. (laughs) Uh, The thing about deciding to work someplace is that if they don't agree, it doesn't happen. (laughs) So I worked pretty hard trying to get in there uh, through some informational interviews, through some connections, networked as best they could, sent just the best written emails I possibly could, and there was just crickets back. There was not the right spot. It wasn't the right time. They didn't have anything available. So in that dream, in the first month that I had, right before I had to actually leave the office, when that dream ended, then it was, oh, expletive, 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 several more expletives. What am I expletive going to do? Expletive. And then very quietly, once but with deep meaning, expletive. So what I did was I went back to some old contacts. I picked up a job at the University Speaking Center. I applied to graduate school so that I could work at the Speaking Center where I had worked as an undergrad. I started connecting with consultants that I knew that I had worked with in my capacity at my that the role that I was leaving. And so I connected with all of those consultants. I would go on lunches with them. I'd go on meetings with them. And each one would say, are you... Are you absolutely sure you want to quit? Are you, I mean, you're young. You can get your degree while you work. You could, are you sure you want to quit? And I just stubbornly, yes, I do. Yes, I absolutely must. And gratefully, many of those external consultants that I met with and knew ended up contracting me later. 
but they didn't at first. It was a long, long run. There was one who kept me on the line for months. I quit in August. I tried to get on his calendar in September, pushed me off until January. Listen, everyday persistence looks like taking a punch to the shoulder 14 times a day. And I know you're thinking, but my shoulders are so strong. I can plank for three minutes. Getting punched in the same spot over and over again hurts in a very specific way because you know it's coming and it just gets a little bit deeper each time. That's everyday persistence. I know this hit is coming. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to stand strong right here because this is a good spot. Everyday persistence also looks like I am sick of getting hit in the shoulder, so I'm going to move a little bit to the right. It comes in different forms. Finally left my job in August, started at the speaking center, got connected with a small startup who needed a blog writer. Now, blog writing made sense because I had been writing internal news items at my my first job for a very long time. Internal communications is the communication friend that's not really, you know, not really stunningly attractive, but has a great personality. (laughs) is really there for you when you need them. (laughs) Think about PR, marketing, sexy, cool, always well-dressed. Internal communications is writing communications for the people who experience the thing that you're writing about. It's an opportunity to elevate people and to give them a spotlight when they might not otherwise have one. It is also writing to people who already experienced it. And I can't tell you how it felt to realize that I was writing the newsletters about HR events, about communication events, and how it felt to realize that they were just being deleted so quickly. (laughs) It's an odd balance. It's humbling, 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 humbling. So blog writing made sense because I'd been doing it. What I didn't realize is that I hated it. (laughs) And I didn't realize I hated it until I got connected with this company and started doing it. Listen, they were a startup. They knew what they were doing. It wasn't their fault to make me love the thing that I told them I could do. So that ended pretty quickly and was rough up until then because what I had been used to was having a direct manager who told me exactly what to do when, here's the due date, do it like this. What I got was a startup where everyone was doing everything and they expect me to be autonomous and independent. That's an immediate jump. So for anyone who is currently working in a corporate environment, even a small business environment that's very structured, to go out on your own is a completely different vibe because there is no one telling you, do it like this, do it now, by this time. There's just you doing it. So it was a good shock system, a good system shock to figuring out what entrepreneurship would look like. In the span of working at the speaking center, blogging, hating it, getting out of it. I picked up coffee shop shifts from my friend's coffee shop. I worked as a catering waitress. I babysat. I sold jeans to Uptown Cheapskate. I learned to really love peanut butter. (laughs) And I would get really small speaking gigs that were unpaid, but they were an opportunity to get in front of people. I had small, small coaching gigs where I'd go and work with people for an hour And I would work on this thing and I would get to know this thing. But in the working and getting to know it thing, I can romanticize it now because I'm here, successful, (laughs) operating at high altitude, cruising at high altitude. But in the moment, the constant feeling was fear. Am I doing this right? The resounding answer was no. Because if I was doing this right, 
then I would be speaking to thousands of people weekly. Then I would be training and consulting and knowing exactly what I was doing. I had so little idea of what I was doing. And so one really great connector, and I want to offer this part of my story as a as a way through my personal in-between. It could also be yours. If you are working on going out on your own, contracting through other companies gives you an incredible sense of how your industry works. If you want to go and work as a coach, if you are able to contract through another coaching company, you can get a feel for how coaching operates. And through that, you'll get to learn yourself and figure out what works well for you. It's also steady or pay at first and going out and getting clients on your own. Both are good, and ideally you transition into a place where you are getting all of your own clients directly. But to contract through so many solid consulting firms as I was able to was such a blessing because it gave me the opportunity to have autonomy and independence in a safe and directed way. It gave me mentors. It gave me sponsors. It gave me people who could help me along my hallway walk of the in-between to the discomfort, the ultimate discomfort. Not just failure, but just regular discomfort. I wore discomfort like a sunburn. And I wore that sunburn like a shame because when I quit my job and people asked where I was going, I didn't have a good answer for them. I didn't have a cool answer because I had no idea. I was trying to move to another state. I was trying to be a famous speaker (laughs) immediately. (laughs) I was trying to continue pursuing my martial arts to the highest degree that I could. I was trying to just keep myself together when what I really needed to do was fall apart. And then when I did fall apart, I was trying to figure out what this new experience would be, even as my old self walking through it. The in-between, you don't change. You don't become a brand new person. A phoenix that dies comes back as itself. And so it was still me walking down that hallway the entire way. But I was made different by it. New awarenesses, new experiences. My in-between was rough and scary and dark, literally and metaphorically, literally because it didn't look anything like I was expecting. Literally, I kept the lights down and I just wouldn't turn the lights on in my house to try to save money on my electric bill. So literally dark. (laughs) Metaphorically dark, again, because it didn't look anything like I was expecting. It didn't look cool or sexy or immediately fun. It just looked like trudging through the mud at night carrying everything I owned in a backpack with my optimism spilling out of the pockets with my fear like bricks in the bag, carrying it through the mud. It's a muddy, muddy hallway walk. As you walk through the in-between, you don't realize that the lights are coming back on until they're all the way on. If you have ever driven very early in the morning, let's say you've had to drive to a conference, let's say you're going on a road trip, if you've ever left your house about four in the morning to go drive somewhere, you start out driving, it's pitch black, and you're the only person that exists, the zombie apocalypse may have happened, it's just you out here, just you and Taylor Swift on the radio, (laughs) and you're driving, and you're driving, then this guy sort of lightens, and it turns gray, and then beyond the gray, it's just this blazing, blazing light, out of nowhere, the sun is there, and everything is illuminated, There are people on the road now. It's not just you. You were never alone, but it felt like you were, and it felt like it was always dark. You see the gray, and I don't think that we see the gray and think, oh, the sun's coming. We just see gray, and now all there is is gray. There's only gray now. And then 
seemingly out of nowhere, there's sun, there's light, it's pouring in everywhere. But it was never out of nowhere because the gray was part of it. Yeah, the night was part of it, but so was the gray and the sun was always coming. And when we think about that process of the in-between, that could be healing from something that hurt you, from an experience that deeply hurt you. Healing feels dark and then gray, and it feels like it's always going to be gray. And then you see little bits of sun, and you roll your eyes because it just feels so gray still. And then all of a sudden it's sun, and you never realized the sun before. The sun is brand new. That's any new experience. That's any different place that you are entering into. The in-between is stressful and uncomfortable, but it is just as important as anything else. The in-between is the walk that you take to get to the thing that you said you would do. It is the stubborn gladness of trudging. It is deciding that you are going to start your own business and then you start it and it doesn't look like what you thought, but you keep going anyway. It is realizing that it is one thing to say a sentence and it is another thing to do it. It is being presently aware right in the moment of how you're doing this thing. Being more focused on the how. Here's what I did today. Here's what I accomplished today. Here's a small victory that I'm going to celebrate in myself, and I'm going to look for more tomorrow. It is the elastic optimism of trying something new and not being sure if you're going to succeed. In fact, assuming that you'll fail at some point along this journey, along this hallway walk, you are going to trip. You're going to try a door, and it's going to be locked. You're going to try a door. It's going to be open. It's going to look like the right spot, and it's not. It's going to feel like walking into a class that you thought was your right class, but actually it was the wrong one. You're going to have to quietly exit to the side. <laughs> oh, man. Failure is littered along the in-between. So is discomfort, and that question resounds, am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? The only answer that will satisfy it is the one that you come up with. And when you look that question in the eyes, please keep in mind, it's not meant to antagonize you. It's not meant to hurt you. It's not meant to terrorize you. It is only questioning, is this the right way to go? Change the tone in your head. Am I doing this right? Oh boy, I have no idea. (laughs) Let's find out. Am I doing this right? I don't know, but I'm really enjoying it. (laughs) Am I doing this right? Maybe I can go check with someone to see how they would do it. And then we can figure out a new way if we want. Am I doing this right? Yeah. Are you nervous you're not doing this right? No. (laughs) Or yeah, I am nervous, but I'm going to keep doing it anyway. Stubborn, stubborn gladness in the walk along the in-between is what we say we'll do in the process of actually doing it. It is the how. It is the dash on the tombstone. This is six feet deep joke of present moment awareness, looking at your how and doing it as you look at it. I wish you all the best of luck in your own personal hallway walks, whether it's healing, whether it's trying something new, anything out of your comfort zone. I am rooting for you. May the door you wish for be open. And if it is not, may you find the one and celebrate it as best as you can.